What are you? What is this? What are you wearing? It's my you, Godzilla shirt. What? Are we recording? You, yeah, we're recording. Oh, Why do you think you sat okay, down so. in that chair? Because we're not going to record. We're going to have a conversation with us looking at each other awkwardly. I'm sorry. What are you wearing? Why? Okay. We're about to interview an author, historian on the subject of one, the roaring 20s, all the more reason why you should be dressed up a little bit, but Warren G. Harding in particular. Oh, Good Warren G. Cool. Harding. You know, that reminds me of a story when I was at AM. There was this uh, radio station that uh, came on and, and they had like trivia contests quite frequently. And then this one day, uh, the, the the question, the trivia was, uh, whose presidency's campaign slogan was return to normalcy? And I was like, I know that. Warren G. Harding. So, you know, I ran to the phone, you know, thinking a lot of people were going to you know, <laughs> run to the phone also. Beat the traffic. I was, I think I was the only one that called in and I said, yeah, Warren G. Harding. And they were like, congratulations, you won. Perfect answer. Yes, sir. It was Warren G. Harding. I was like, all right, cool. What I win? And they said, you win. A Debbie Gibson album, Out of the Blue. And I was, you know, you know, I was like, great, great. Uh, like Out of the Blue, out, you yeah, just the, won? The album, Out of oh, the Blue. Oh, the name is Out of the, the Blue. Of the blue. Okay. It's like, don't y'all have Rush moving pictures? You know, so. Uh, and they said, no. So Do you I, still have it? Yeah, sure do. In fact, funny, I just happen to have it right here. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yeah. No, that I, really came out of the blue. That was. Uh, yeah, uh, you so, didn't fall for that, did you? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, Unbelievable. I, I get it. But uh, yeah, but it was. Uh, she was a. You know, I, I was so inspired by this um, album. Well, not really, but I'm trying to play along here. But uh, but yeah, I wanted to uh, write a screenplay called uh, "Breakfast at Debbie Gibson's." Hmm. Hey, Do you ever write it? No, nah, they said it wasn't uh, original. You know, but I I thought it would be a smash hit. Really. Yeah, I bet you did. Only in your dreams. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. That's much better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got to look professional I mean, here. Yeah. Speaking of professionalism, why do you always have that top, that button open? What is that? Like, what is that all about? Well, what I are gotta, you trying you know, to show tell the, people? You know, the hair on my... Yeah, well, because if I do it like you, I'm going to look like a goober. You do yeah. know that you look like a goober with that style. I don't think so. Exactly. That's you know there that's well, seems the to be a there seems to be a plethora of people who have opinions on what's best and what's worst. Exactly. You know? <laughs> I am part of the general consensus. I, I bet you. <clears throat> Anyways, all right, ladies and gentlemen, um, welcome to the Sons of History podcast. I'm Dustin Bass. That is Alan Locut Joaquim. <laughs> that's going to be your new nickname. Uh, you like that? Isn't there a Boz Skaggs song? Or is that no? That's low down, low cut, low down. A good song. Boz, Boz Skaggs. Skaggs, low down. Man. I think it's called low down. I think some is terrible it? music is being introduced no, into no, this no, episode. No, no, this is, no, yeah, Boz no, 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 Skaggs. Boz Skaggs, come on. Oh yeah, it's a great no, you song. come on. I don't even know who it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've got a real great guest uh, to join us. But before we get into the conversation about Warren G. Harding. Um, Let's talk about what happened this week in history. Okay, there's no need to 
time me because this is going to be pretty short, um, short lived, no pun intended, uh, March 27th, 1977 in the Canary Islands, um, beautiful Canary Islands, two Boeings, 747s collide, crash, uh, on the ground at an, at the airport. Um, what is Los Rodeos, something like that airport, um, two of them collide, crash, and I think 570, 570 people died, uh, during that, during that crash. Um, uh, the worst, it is the worst air civil aviation disaster to ever take place. Um, 570 people like that, uh, died just when you thought you were going on vacation, you're excited for vacation and here we are. And then there we go. Mm. Yeah, so, I, I remember that incident. I remember yeah. that we were, you know, it was a big deal. There had been a, I think, a terrorist attack at the main airport. Mm-hmm. And so all of the flights were diverted to uh, that particular airport, which really couldn't handle 747s. But yeah. I mean, it was piled up. There were uh, planes that were taxiing or parked on the runways, and there was fog. Disaster. I mean, yeah, it was, recipe like I said, for yeah. absolute disaster. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, like like you were saying, uh, up until nine eleven, which I don't know if that. Would I don't know if that's considered, you know, civil aviation Just, yeah. disaster, but you know that because that's a terrorist attack. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not an accident. Yeah, but now I I remember it. I remember mm-hmm. it clear as day. Now, uh, for me, the uh, this day in history will be actually two dates: March twenty second. And March 24th. Or this week, whatever. What did I say? This This day? day? Yeah, this week. That's right, this week. Sorry. This week in 1765, March 22nd and March 24th, British Parliament decides to impose two acts on the 13 colonies. Uh, This was in response to the French and Indian War, also known as the Seven Years' War. Uh, It cost Britain a lot of money, and they were like, you know what, we're going to make them Americans pay so they passed the Stamp Act, which basically any piece of paper you had, whether it's uh, forms that you had to sign or playing cards, you had to have that stamp, and there was a tax on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the Quartering Act, where you know you had to quarter the troops, quarter the troops, which yeah, ne- which troops. I think what the Third or Fourth Amendment to the uh, Constitution, the Bill of Rights, specifically yeah. says, nope, not nope. during peacetime. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, those events led to the American mm-hmm. Revolution, led to the protests, led, which the protests led to um, action that took place, Gatsby and Boston Harbor. And, the Great Gatsby. Yeah, the Great Gatsby. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> now, the Gatsby incident in Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and uh, which then led to Britain, you know, imposing, you know, the to- intolerance, intolerable acts which then led to the fighting. So yep. there you go. There you go. Very intolerable. Uh, much like that shirt. All right, ladies mm. and gentlemen, that is This Week in History. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, we've got a special guest, Ryan Walters. He's a professor of American history at Collin College in North Texas. Uh, he is the author of The Last Jeffersonian, Grover Cleveland, and The Path to Restoring the Republic. Uh, that is not the book. I told you just to wait a second. Anyways, you're, you're throwing off the element. You see what you just, did? You're a professional. You're not Vanna White. You're never going to be. She's all about timing. 
and low cut. You only got one part of it. Anyways, all right. And he's also the author of Remember Mississippi, How Chris McDaniel Exposed the GOP Establishment and Started a Revolution. Grover Cleveland, the last Jeffersonian president. Apollo won the tragedy that put us on the moon. And his most recent book, come on, Vanna. Oh, come on, Alan. Okay, all right. And his most recent book, The Jazz Age President Defending Warren G. Harding. And speaking of a president, do you know who he looks like? Warren G. Harding? You ever watch Welcome Back, Cotter? No. Mr. Woodman. I always remember always saying, damn, that guy looks like Mr. Woodman. Hmm. Yeah, he does. Interesting. Welcome back, Carter. Yeah, well, welcome back, Alan. Hmm. Welcome back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've got Ryan Walters on the line. Ryan, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. How y'all doing today? Yeah, it's a nice good. day outside. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I uh, just got back from a little vacation with the family. And when I say family, I don't have a wife and children. Uh, this is parents, brother, and his kids. So went over at the beach. Beautiful weather, um, and here I am, topping off the week, getting to talk about Warren G. Harding. So thanks for thanks for joining us, man. This is going to be a fun, um, I think, pretty enlightening conversation as well. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Hey, man. Uh, you're very welcome, and we're excited to talk about a president that definitely does not get his just due. Um, and I, I sort of want to I want to start on that uh, because you've written a book called The Jazz Age President, uh, defending Warren G. Harding. Um, and I want to start off my first question with there's there's a lot of books that are written about past presidents, although a lot of those are typically presidents that we're pretty fond of. I mean, we get, you know, the Washingtons, the Lincolns, you know, constantly Adams, um, even, you know, FDR, people that, you know, typically Americans are fond of. Um, Warren G. Harding, a bit different. So it's been a century since Warren Harding was in office and he's not looked on fondly. So why write a book defending him and do you think it's too late to do so? Obviously, I mean, you probably don't think it's too late to do so, but I guess abstractly, do you think it's too late? Yeah, somebody had to. That's the whole point. Somebody had to. And there's been a few people that have defended Warren Harding. The problem is, is that not a lot's written about him because he's considered by, and the consensus opinion is that he's a failed president. So, so why do you want to waste time writing about a failed president, a quote unquote failed president? Um, he's finished last in more presidential rankings than any other president. Um, he's come up a few notches, but he's still in the bottom 10. That's still considered a failed presidency. He was considered corrupt and inept and incompetent and lazy and all these things, a womanizer, a party, or all these things that they say, and he shouldn't have been in office. He was a terrible president, so nobody writes about him. There's been only a handful of people that have dared to try to defend him, and my book is probably the most comprehensive defense of Harding that we have to date. When you look at his real record, it just doesn't reflect what historians have said about him, and most of these historians are left-wing progressives. So they like a lot of the, those that you mentioned, they like FDR, they like Woodrow Wilson and, and even Lyndon Johnson and people like that. They like activist presidents and, and with energetic government. And Harding was not like that. He was very, very conservative, didn't think the government had a responsibility to operate in certain areas. So obviously they're not gonna like him. And they're gonna take these political attacks that, that happened against him 
when he was when everybody gets attacked. I mean, Trump, everybody has these attacks. And of course, a lot of them, they just run with those things as though they're that they're fact, that they happened. And a lot of them are just myth. I tackle eight myths in the book. And a lot of them are, are just rumors and, and things, just outright lies and fabrications of history. So you mentioned Woodrow Wilson, um, and this is the president um, that was right before Warren Harding uh, gets into office. Um, did a one of the most progressive, if not the most progressive president uh, the nation's ever had, even above FDR, which I would, if I were to rate, I would probably say, yeah, that's that's accurate, even though he only got two terms. Um well, hey, uh, you know, I okay, beg I'll, to differ I'll give it a tie, one. but hey, I, I think, <laughs> I think it is. Anyways, um, so in your book, you discuss the various accomplishments of Harding, and we often think of the economic turnaround that took place, um, which we will get to, but I want to focus on two specific accomplishments, or at least things that he really worked on uh, to make better, and that is the race relations in the U.S., and then the relationship between the U.S. and Latin American countries. Uh, discuss those two. Yeah, these, these are two, uh, like a lot of these areas, I mean, most people will talk about the economic turnaround and give him zero credit. But race relations, uh, he's given zero credit for what he did. And, and as far as his whole entire foreign policy, uh, people just skip over. As far as race relations, you have to remember Woodrow Wilson was you know, one of the most progressive presidents. He was also one of the most openly racist presidents that we had. Woodrow Wilson came up in the Reconstruction South, and he had those same ideas, uh, the pre ideas that were prevalent among the white South at the time. I mean, he, he believed in white supremacy and uh, and believed in segregation passionately. I mean, and there had been some strides that were made in race relations when Woodrow Wilson came into office in 1913, but he resegregated the federal government, segregated the city of Washington, D.C. They tried to pass a law to ban and make a felony racial mixing inside the city of Washington, D.C. He, he screened the film, uh, the D.L.B. Griffiths film, Birth of a Nation in the White House, and, 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 and really liked the film, which is a glorification of the Ku Klux Klan during Reconstruction. So that's the kind of guy Warren Harding, he came in, of course, in 1919 under Wilson, you get what's called the Red Summer of 1919, which was called that because of the amount of blood that was spilled, black blood. Um, lynchings across the country. A lot of black people began to move from the South into the North. And, and most people think, well, they were probably perceived pretty well, but that's not the case at all. People didn't like it. There were a lot of lynchings. There were, there were dozens of lynchings in the summer of 1919. Harding came in and tried to correct some of that. He called for a civil rights law. He called for a federal law to ban uh, lynching, an anti-lynching law. I went to Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, when he was president, first year he was president. Now think about the courage it took to do this. He goes to Birmingham, Alabama, which is the heart of the old Confederacy, and gives a speech to a segregated obvious, uh, audience, obviously, and says that blacks need to be treated equally in the country. They need to have equal treatment in, 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 in their politics and you know, voting and, and economic opportunities, educational opportunities. Um, you name so many other president that would have done that or did. Nobody did that. He, he kind of used the bully pulpit to do that. Went to a historically black college in Pennsylvania called Lincoln College, spoke to the graduating class, shook hands with all 400 
uh, of the graduates. And the school was very excited to have the president of the United States come and speak. And they said it was the high watermark of the history of that institution. So there's a lot of things he did. Not a lot, of, not a lot got accomplished, but he at least reached out. Because remember, he was only in office 882 days. Um, FDR was in office over 4,000 days, and his racial record is deplorable. Um, you know, there was no anti-lynching. He, he ignored all of that in favor of, of placating the South. So his record is so much better than Wilson, so much better than FDR. As far as foreign policy and, and, and relations with Latin America, Woodrow Wilson had destroyed a lot of that. Not only was Latin America, the Caribbean and all of that, uh, the raid with Pancho Villa and all of that, Mexico was very unhappy uh, with Woodrow Wilson, particularly the president of Mexico had called him a terrible enemy of Mexico. But when Harding came in, Harding reached out to him after he was elected and, and wanted to repair those relations with Mexico and other nations. Because there was some bad blood, not only with Mexico, there's a lot of bad blood with Colombia. Remember, they were building the Panama Canal. And Panama was a province of Colombia. And we started a revolution to separate Panama. So he reached out and, and worked, tried to work uh, better relations with those nations and was pretty successful. The president of Mexico was very happy about that and called Harding's inauguration a new day. You know, it's a new day for our relations. In other words, we're starting over here. So they were very happy to see that. Woodrow Wilson was, was not like Harding. Harding was a very kind guy. He, he'd sit around with us and we'd be telling stories and having a good time. Wilson was not like that. Wilson was an academic. He'd been a professor at Princeton, the president of Princeton, and he was a very arrogant guy and believed he was always right and everybody else was always wrong. I mean, he said at one time, hey, I'm president of the United States because God put me in as president of the United States. And, you know, you have to listen to me because if you don't, you're not listening to God. You're, you're going to go to hell probably. And that was his self-righteous attitude. And when you have somebody like that, you're, you're going to poison relations with them. And it took a, a person like Harding to come in who didn't have that kind of attitude and begin to repair those relations. Well, the monarch hmm? reminds me of a monarch we once had. You figure? Yeah, I do think. Well, you know, I'll tell you, there there is a very long list of accomplishments that uh, that Harding made, and uh, which you know includes some of the measures and policies uh, that fueled the economic boom of the 1920s. Uh, you know, we had the Roaring Twenties, and it was aptly named for it. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, this was until the stock market crash of 1929, which was two presidents later. You know, you had Coolidge, and you had um, you had Hoover. Hoover. So um, now, when he died, the, the whole country mourned him. Based on all, this, all the evidence that I've read, the, the whole country mourned him. Even the press mourned the guy. Uh, but then after his death, some information started coming out, which kind of tainted his reputation, the Teapot Dome scandal and, uh, and a few others. So my question is, is that because a, a kind of a standard changed after Watergate, was he judged more harshly because these events occurred before Watergate? And had they happened now, the scandals that came out, would he be judged as harshly? Would they have raised uh, you know, eyebrows as much since they've happened since Watergate? Or was it only because all this happened in Watergate that he is judged so harshly? I think he was judged harshly then. Um... I think I think it'd probably be easier now, because if you look at the scandals that happened under Harding, um, as one scholar said, they're actually rather rinky dink by today's standards. Not only Watergate, but some of the things that's going on now that we're seeing um, and, and, and 
scandals that we've had in the past. We've had some pretty horrific ones that really hadn't been covered that much, but Teapot Dome, and it was a scandal in the Veterans Bureau. There was a scandal in the Justice Department. Those are those were very minor. They involved, you know, just simple graft and corruption, uh, which Harding did not benefit from. And a lot of those people all went to jail. Harding, when he was allowed, the Veterans Bureau scandal, the Department of Justice scandal, um, while he was alive, he he dealt with both of those. People were punished. People went to jail. People were fired. Teapot Dome broke when he was on a westward swing throughout the West, and he died on that trip. Uh, he found out about Teapot Dome on that trip, and he had plans. He had talked to Hoover about it. Hoover talks about it in his memoirs about exposing these people and going after them. And I think Harding was very heartbroken about a lot of that. He had he put trusted people in office, and they were taking advantage of his kindness and his goodness. But it, it, a lot of that broke after he died. He died in 1923. By 1924, a lot of the scandal, particularly Teapot Dome, was out in the press. Of course, it's a little unfair because Harding wasn't there to defend himself. But um, he died in uh, 1923. His wife, the first lady, died in 1924, Florence. And they had a memorial they built in Marion, Ohio, for him where, they, where they're buried. You can go to see it today. Um, but they wanted to dedicate that. And while Coolidge was president, Coolidge wouldn't go give a speech to dedicate it because the scandals were so much in the press. And he thought it would hurt him politically. It was actually not until Herbert Hoover was in office during the Depression in 1931 that he went to Marion and gave a speech. And he really was the first one to start the defense of Harding. If you read that speech, and I quote from it in the book, in the conclusion, it's actually very much a defense of Harding. So he was really the first one to start to defend Harding. Uh, not only from the scandals, but look at the accomplishments of his administration. So it was still bad, even though it was before Watergate, it was still bad. Um, and that's what's tarnished his reputation. People say, well, he was corrupt. And then so he's a failure. Well, when you look at the the, the real record of those scandals and what he did, and he confronted people and fired people and people went to prison, much different than Nixon and others that just that either cover them up or either say, well, they're not a scandal. You remember Obama said, there's not been a smidgen of corruption in my administration. Well, that's true. It depends on how you define corruption. I mean, if you just redefine it, not, not to include anything you've done, then sure, every administration's uh, no corruption. I got a, I got a question uh, that sort of ties in with, with yours. So Harding, Harding dies. Coolidge doesn't really step up and try to defend him. Hoover, however, does. Hoover, however, is known as also one of the worst presidents we've ever had. FDR is next. Obviously, FDR would definitely not defend Harding. They're on completely different spectrums. Do you think it came down to also the fact that it was Hoover who was defending him and Hoover was defended by Harding, as you mentioned in your book, as, hey, either... You give me Hoover and you get Mellon as well, or you don't get either one, right? And so Hoover was sort of defended by Harding to get into the cabinet. And Hoover then defends Harding, but he's looked on as a terrible president. Do you think if it was FDR who had defended Harding that we would look at him a bit differently? Oh, probably so. I mean, because of the, the you know, the, the, the highness that we've placed FDR, sure. Um, Hoover's considered that, and Hoover gets a lot of blame for the depression. And, I, and again, let, let's look at let's look at Hoover for a second. It's typical for historians to say, well, the 1920s, very early 30s, was a, a Republican era. We had 12 years of Republican rule: Harding, Coolidge, 
and Hoover. But you have you can't you can't lump Hoover in with Harding and Cooley. They were both, they were all three Republicans, but Hoover was a progressive Republican. Hoover was closer in philosophy to FDR than he was Harding and Coolidge. Harding comes in with the Forgotten Depression in 1920. Uh, he and Coolidge had the exact same program, you know, laissez-faire, cutting taxes, cutting government, cutting regulations, dealing with it that way. Hoover comes in in 1929, and of course the Depression hits in, in October of that year, and what does he do? He throws, starts throwing everything he has at it. As a matter of fact, if you read Rexford Tugwell, he was one of FDR's brain trust members. Um, he said he admitted that they got a lot of the ideas from the New Deal uh, from Hoover. So it's really customary to, to call it Hoover's New Deal. Hoover is spending money, raising taxes, raising tariffs, doing all of these things that made uh, the downturn worse. And of course, FDR picked up where he left off and, and really, really, uh, went forward with progressive government and grinded us into a terrible depression. But yeah, Hoover does have some good qualities. Let's not, let's not knock him in the head too much. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. He's a brilliant engineer. Um, he was a administration in World War I and the, the relief organization after the war that helped stave off a famine in Belgium. That's why Harding wanted him in the cabinet in some capacity. A lot of people didn't. The conservatives didn't because they said he's a progressive. He's a he's Mellon said he's too much of an engineer. He wants to he wants to take the engineering and apply it to government, and that's not the way it should be done. But Harding said, well, if he's commerce secretary, he's not going to be running everything, and he did a good job as, as secretary. And you mentioned one of the myths I talk about is the fact that Harding was this pliable guy that wasn't independent, and this the party leaders and senators would 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 mold him and, and push him in whatever direction they wanted to. The fact that he put Hoover in the cabinet above their objection shows you how independent of a president he was. Yeah. So, are you suggesting that FDR would his approval would have gone down had he shown support for Harding? Is that what you're saying? You mean, or? no, I think his his approval would have gone up. If he had, a, what do you mean down? Do you well, mean I down mean, in I'm, a good way or down? Well, like, no, no, no. I mean, like you know, I, I remember. I when, think if when FDR Nixon, were to say, what, like if FDR were to say, uh, Harding was actually a fantastic president, and mm-hmm. A, B, C, D, this is that's why. I think you know it would have held much more sway because I mean, even my right. grandparents loved FDR, and my mm-hmm. grandparents were super conservative. Well, because I remember when <laughs> just uh, so bizarre. I remember when Gerald Ford, mm-hmm. Gerald Ford defended Nixon and and pardoned him and his of, of Nixon and his approval rating just that's took what a I'm dive. saying. Gerald Ford is looked on as a failed president too. Yeah, but that's what I'm, I'm saying. Not, you know, I'm not a big fan. Of Do it. you understand? Are you I, connecting anything that I'm putting you, together? I don't here? think you understand. I feel like it's just me and Ryan talking. <laughs> When you're ba- thesis, you know, uh, that's interesting. I think probably so. I mean, if, if 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 FDR had defended him, I don't know that he ever said anything about Harding. If he did, it wasn't good. I can yeah, tell yeah. you that. I, I'm just saying, if FDR did defend him, because Harding that- and Coolidge are blamed for the depression. I mean, they don't want to blame FDR. Let's not let's not blame Hoover and FDR who took their policies that gave us a roaring twenty and reversed them and destroyed it. Let's you know, let's let's throw the blame on somebody else. And that's what a lot. And when you read these historians about Harding, that's what they say. Harding gave us the conditions that create caused the bust in 1929. And it's just, I actually got into a dispute last week with the former director of the FDR presidential library. Um, I got an article on my website and he saw it and he called it rubbish. And he, you I tried to go to, you know, duel him a little bit on Twitter. Um, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't take in debate too much, but some other, these liberal historians got in and, 
you know, when you look at the record, you look at what really happened during the 20s and then what happened in 1929 and the 30s, it's, it's, it's pretty clear what, what happened. And you have to give a lot of credit to the Federal Reserve for causing the downturn. I mean, the Federal Reserve uh, just had a terrible monetary policy from 1929 to 1933. And if, as you well know, the Federal Reserve can make or break an economy with one decision. Uh, one bad decision, um, they could destroy it this afternoon if they wanted to, if they, if they made the, the wrong decision. And a lot of people don't want to look at that. It's the Milton Friedman uh, thesis, which I happen to agree with. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I've so always right. looked at the, uh, the the polls that show Harding down on the bottom. Um, I'll, I'll see Jimmy Carter high up, which, I mean, I remember Carter. I remember Tam. That was a bad time for mm-hmm. for the country. You know, it's his foreign policies, his domestic policies, and 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 you know, look. And I've never made it a secret. I, I like Trump. I, I'm a big fan of Trump. Um, you're He's down on me. the bottom. He's sick. down on the bottom with Warren G. Harding, and I'm sitting here going, yeah. "I don't know." I've read about Harding in high school and in college, and you know, <clears throat> I, I've always felt that the polls were unfair. My my uh, post, I, I call her my post Civil War American history professor in college. Uh, she didn't think too highly of him, and in fact, um, you know, she told me that the way he died was. He gets a message or finds out about Teapot Dome and just collapses, and then that, that's how he died. And she talked about you know, quite, a, quite a list of things that happened afterwards. But the things that I read, I, I mean, I saw like all, you know, like I had mentioned, a list of all these accomplishments. So my question to you is this. Who is it who gets to judge who's the best and who's the worst? What, you know, what group? Is it who decides who's the best and the worst president? Um, you know, did uh, did their opinions? Because I know much of it happened afterwards, but the people who spoke out against Harding did their opinions sway the public to say, "Yeah, he was bad," or was it that the people who thought fondly of him were they ignored when it came to the polling? Yeah, there's not a lot of people that thought too fond, particularly after the scandals. Had everybody backed off. So what filled up the vacuum was people that hated him. Um, and, and beginning with Arthur Schlesinger's original poll, he's the first one that started in 1948. They put his, published it in Life magazine. We didn't really have polls before that, but starting at that poll going forward, Harding was last, 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 last. And he finished last in more of them than anybody. He and James Buchanan are pretty neck and neck. I think Buchanan will probably pass him uh, on the latest C-SPAN poll. That seems to be the big one right now, C-SPAN. They've got a lot of historians. But when you look at who these historians are, eight out of ten of them are very, very left-wing progressives. So they're going to have a they're going to have that bad opinion of Harding. And I guarantee you that I guarantee you most of them don't know hardly anything about it. You mentioned your particular professor probably doesn't know um, very much about them. Particularly, that's when I wanted to do this book. I wanted to give some people some more ammunition because what I like to say when they start that with me, I say, oh, really? He was a bad president? Tell me what his foreign policy was. And you'll usually get, uh, 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 they don't have a clue. All they did is regurgitate what their professor said or what they read in this textbook or that textbook. And look who writes the textbooks. And they're liberal progressive historians. And so you're going to get that, you know, you're going to get that bias in there. And most of them won't tell you they're biased. They think, no, I'm not biased. I'm not biased. And people, people say I'm biased. Yeah, I'm biased. I'll tell you I'm biased. And I'll tell you up front I am. I'm not going to try to hide it. Everybody's biased in their writing. It's just who admits it and who don't. 
And so you really have to look and people send me emails all the time. Well, who do I, I don't, who, who do I read? What, what historians did I read? What, what should I, and a lot of times you have to know who the publisher, who, who the publisher is. Uh, you have to look at their background. Who's giving blurbs on the back of the book? You know, people who are endorsing the book, that'll tell you a lot uh, about the, about it. You kind of really have to do your, your homework on, on, on these historians, but that's who's driving the narrative. Um, so you can almost take the, it's interesting, you can almost take the list and invert it in a lot of ways, and you'd probably be better off. Um, these, these supposed great, look at, the, look at the last top 10 list. Look who's in it. I mean, Woodrow Wilson and all these people are in it. Lyndon Johnson was ranked 11th in, in the latest. Lyndon Johnson, <laughs> that, that, that's, that, that just tells you all you need to know. And you mentioned Trump and Harding. They're very, very similar. Go, you'll look at the parallels between Trump and Harding. They're very, very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I personally, I mean, I, I, I like John Kennedy. I mean, I, you mm-hmm. know, I would have loved to have met the man. I've been to his um, uh, presidential library up in I think Boston. he's a good president, too. I think right. he's the best Democrat of the 20th century, no question. You think, about okay, because yep. I was going to say, I, 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 I he's, don't... He's in my I guess in the top five, century. if not my top ten. I mean, top ten, if not my top five. Yeah. You know, I... I, I didn't. I didn't like. I didn't like Bill Clinton at the time. I mean, I. I think he was an effective president, um, but yeah, I don't know if I would put him in the top ten. Who, Clinton? John Kennedy. Oh, I John just, Kennedy. Yeah, I mean, I think he I was. Would. You know, I, personally, I like Obama, Obama's in the top ten right now. Yeah, which is yeah. bizarro world. You know? Yeah, and you know, I mean, yeah. and there were scandals there. Um, the Fast and Furious, Benghazi. Just to, I know there, there were a couple. How dare of them. you? What? The IRS. Look at what they look how they use yeah, the IRS yeah. as a weapon. That's something that FDR did all the time. Well, I, I always um, looked at him. You as... don't see you don't see Harding or Coolidge or people like that using the government as a weapon against people. But you see FDR using that as a weapon. Woodrow Wilson uses it as a weapon. I talk about that in the book. The fact that he threw people in jail just because they opposed his war in Europe. FDR used the FBI uh, routinely used the IRS as a weapon. He ordered wi- illegal wiretaps on people. I mean, threw uh, over 100,000 Japanese Americans in a concentration camp. I mean, but, this, but let's rank him third. Right. But Harding, who pardoned war of political prisoners, let him out of jail, even though he didn't agree with them, like uh, Eugene Debs, a, an avowed socialist. You know, let's put him down on the lad. He's a failure. But FDR, uh, you know, is a hero. I mean, just, it just it makes no sense to people with any common sense at all. And I think it's relying, the public then relies too much on these lists. And then they just go with it. Yeah, They think, well, this is, these are professional historians. These are people that do it all the time. And you get the sense that they are not biased. But you got to you understand, they have an agenda. And what those lists tell us is more about the people making lists than it does about the presidents that they are surveying. Uh, again, there's some conservatives on C-SPAN's panel, Amity Schlaes, who, who endorsed my book. Um, but there's they're they're few and far between. Between, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about Howard Zinn, where he's considered an esteemed historian by many. When yeah. we we don't uh, we don't agree with that at all. Um, oh no, Regnery's got a really good book um, out there. It's a it's a, a an expose of Howard Zinn and his history. I and mean, Howard Zinn's history is, should be retitled "The Marxist History of the United States." I mean, you have to understand who these people are and and what they're trying to do and when you don't know, when you get some young student that's impressionable and they go out and read Howard Zinn, um, it's unsurprising they have the attitudes that they have today. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, we've had a couple of, like Dr. Mary Graybar and um, yeah. Don was it? Uh, I'm referring Dr. to Dr. She's Donald. excellent. Yeah. Okay. Donald uh, Donald Critchlow is that it? Was that yeah, Don Critchlow. Yeah, yeah, good guy. Um, okay, so return to normalcy. That was slogan. We talked about that in our intro. Mm-hmm. Um, if president today came out with a return to normalcy slogan, uh, would they be someone like Doctors Ron or Rand Paul and you know, in your opinion, would, would we return like to the gold standard, slashing the government down to something like Washington, uh, Jefferson and Madison had envisioned? And would they be called isolationists? Because, you know, after World War One, I, I know Wilson wanted us to, he wanted the League of Nations, the Treaty of Versailles, and, and Harding was not going that route. So, if we had a president running today with with a slogan, what what do you see in someone doing a return to normalcy? You know, it's interesting you say that because they tried to to use that in fa- in favor of Biden's candidacy. There were a number of articles in 2020, um, essentially saying that he, that was his candidacy, the return to normalcy, which I thought was just complete ridiculousness, and that was just an attack on Trump. When you look at Harding's return to normalcy, and I do this in the book, and I think it's very important to do that when you're talking about Harding, is to put him in context. That 20-year period before he became president was a progressive era. Uh, T.R., Taft, Wilson, and all the progressive reforms that we had, it really changed the nature of the relationship between the individual citizen and the government. And of course, with Wilson, you get the Federal Reserve and income tax and a whole bunch of stuff. And then, of course, you get the war. Coming out of the war, you get the Spanish flu pandemic, which was awful uh, worldwide, much worse than this uh, COVID stuff. Um, you get the, the, the terrible events of 1919, not to mention Woodrow Wilson's stroke and all of the things that went wrong, the terrible economy that hit in 1920, the Depression. So, yeah, when Harding came out, that was a perfect slogan, return to normalcy. People have had it up to here with reforms and war and, and, and flu and, and violence. Uh, they wanted to kind of go back to a simpler time. Um, and that's exactly what Harding did. Um, cutting tax. I mean, the top rate in taxes had gone over 70 percent. Spending was through the roof. Spending before World War I was less than $800 million, million a year. It was like $715 million. 1919, spending was $20 billion a year because of the war. By the time Harding got to office, it was still $6 billion, and he slashed it in half in about two years. And the idea was to get the government out of everybody's life. He said during the campaign, the world needs to be reminded that not every problem can be solved with legislation. In other words, the government's not the solution to these problems. And so uh, go back to a time before all these progressive reforms and, and let people live their lives. So if we had a president today under return to normalcy, that's what I would want to see. Um, we would have to do a lot. I mean, can you imagine cutting the government 50% today? How much you would how much you would cut? You'd have to cut about $2 trillion a year, but but who knows how much they're spending? And we don't even really have a budget. They just spend whatever they want to. Um, who knows? I mean, they're spending all this money and trying to tell us the national debt's going down. Yeah, right. I mean, Harding and Coolidge cut the debt by a third throughout the 1920s. So, I mean, that's the kind of normalcy I would like to see. I would like to see taxes go away. I'd like to see the Federal Reserve go away. I'd like to see most of the government dismount. That's my return to normalcy. Foreign policy, I mean, pull back from the rest of the world. We're not the defenders of the rest of the world. The last place we need to be is to have a no-fly zone in Ukraine. I can tell you what Harding's position on that was. Hey, that 
Because he said in his inaugural address, we need to disentangle ourselves from the problems of the old world. He was talking about Europe. We're not going over there to handle their problems for them. That's their problems. You handle your problems. We're not spilling American blood uh, for Europe. So I know that's probably exactly what he would say. And that's what he was doing in his foreign policy, disarmament. And, and he, he, he withdrew our troops from Germany, the Rhineland, uh, withdrew our troops from the Caribbean. We occupied several places. So his was what the founding fathers called retrenchment, which is to, re, which is to pull back to reduce um, the government on both a domestic and foreign policy uh, position. Yeah, which is, I think, what Washington, yeah. Jefferson, Madison, they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. That Let's... was certainly a return to normalcy in foreign policy. Uh, you know, Washington warned against permanent alliances. Jefferson warned against entangling alliances. And that's one of the reasons why Harding, as a senator, was opposed and helped stop the League of Nations. Um, the League of Nations, you know, guaranteed we would be in a war if a member nation was attacked. And, and his position was, hey, wait a minute, that means Congress loses its authority to declare war and decide where we go to war and where we don't. We're in the same position with NATO, what's going on there. If, if that war spills into NATO territory, we're guaranteed we have to go to war. I mean, you've had, you've had people in Europe already say if the Russians touch NATO soil, we're at war. So, you know, that's the kind of entangling alliances Jefferson warned against, and that's exactly the kind of foreign policy Harding had. Yeah, it's uh, interesting that... You know, because we, we mentioned Zen and we mentioned like how young people view America and they don't hold America in high regard. And yet at the same time, they have a lot of people have this Wilsonian mentality of America to where America is the smartest country in the room, if you will. And right. yet we're the ones supposed to be guiding the world as if their leaders have no idea what's going on. It's just like it, it really... Um, it, it, it is, it's, it's illogical to look do. down upon America and yet at the same time view um, America with this massive American exceptionalism, which you and I, you know, believe in American exceptionalism, but they, you know, it, it's, it just doesn't, it just really doesn't make any sense. And it's, it's almost comical. It would be comical if it wasn't so tragic, as they say, so... Well, Ryan, hey, this has been a fun conversation. Thanks so much, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Thank you so much. The book is The Jazz Age President, uh, Defending Warren G. Harding. And I, I agree. He needs to be defended. And at the same time, while defending him, I think it'll put into perspective other presidents that may be down on the list as well. Um, and so I think there's going to be not just a focus on Warren G. Harding with this book, but also it will... Um, overlap into other presidencies that are looked down upon and then other presidencies that are uplifted that shouldn't be. So Ryan, thanks again uh, for joining the Sons of History. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it, guys. Well, I got to say, I, I enjoyed that because, you know, I've, I've always, as I mentioned in the uh, interview, I've always been, I don't want to say I'm a fan of Warren G. Harding, but I've always wondered why is he ranked so low of all the good stuff that took place? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you got to give the guy credit for the Roaring Twenties. He had a lot to do with it, with, you know, the tax cuts, slashing the government, because we were in a recession yeah. um, his first year, which was because of, the you know, the disarmament and the, the you know, we're just coming off of yeah. World War One, and, mm -hmm. and so he comes in, we have a recession, he hires Andrew Mellon, 
and they 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 turned the economy around. Mm-hmm. You know, it went. I think uh, unemployment was around eleven to thirteen percent, mm-hmm. and before by the time he died, I mean it was three 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 percent. I think it was, and and I mean we had great economic activity for. Mm-hmm you know, another eight years or so. Yeah. But but again, you had Calvin Coolidge and then you had Herbert Hoover. So, yeah. you, you know, I thought I thought he was a great president. I couldn't understand. You know, I see some of the uh, journalists today and some of the historians today, um, the way they think, the way mm-hmm. they rate. And, yeah. you know, I, and it I, makes sense. Makes sense, yeah. yeah. So, but if you don't know much about history or you don't know much about even politics... Uh, you're going to go based, you're, you're going to form your opinion based on these yeah. Uh, ratings. Yeah. And you're going to, and that's, what's weird to me is like, you're going to form your opinion based on what like these historians or even journalists today, like view as a good president, which is somebody who's going to be an activist president. Yes. Making things happen. Just even if it's to a detriment to the country or the people in in general, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but he he, I I and I I use this often. Like, yeah, but at least he was re- he at least he tried. He, he was really trying to. I'm like, I don't care if he was trying or not. I would rather have somebody who just didn't give a rip, didn't really do anything, and it benefited the country, mm-hmm. than somebody who was working their tail end off twenty hours a day, right? just trying to do things that are for the best for the country and made the country worse off. I would rather the other guy and I would rate that guy way higher. Even if it was like, he didn't do, he didn't really do anything. I'm like, yeah, but what was the outcome of that? Mm-hmm. The outcome was we get to keep more of our money. We keep to keep more of our freedoms. What, what, what more do you want? Mm-hmm. And there's a mentality that is, you know, well, we need activist judges. We need activist, you know, congressmen. We need activist presidents. Mm-hmm. It's like, n- no. Well, it's like, you know, every time I hear how Congress is trying to pass these new laws, new laws. And I'm, why are we passing new laws? Yeah. I mean, when you pass new laws, these are more and more rules that we have exactly. to follow. And if you make one little mistake, you know, let's say... Let's say Congress or let's say the the press or the law wants to come after you with all these new laws. Mm-hmm. You're not going to know all the laws. And right. next thing you know, you break one of them and whoop, you know. Yeah. But here's an interesting thing is, is that the reasons why they judge Harding so harshly. I've heard, okay, well, he didn't finish his term. He was only there uh, for, what, two, three years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, you know, John Kennedy... You know, Harding died in 23, Kennedy died in 63, mm-hmm. yet Kennedy was ranked very high. I think he was, I know he's in the top 10. Yeah. Okay, so that, that argument doesn't fly. Okay, then the argument, well, you know, he was, you know, Harding had affairs. Well, Bill Clinton, Kennedy, you know, those guys had affairs, yet, you know, they're ranked, they're ranked pretty high. So that argument doesn't fly. Yeah. All right, well, then he had these uh, scandals that took place. Okay, let's look at Obama. Okay, he had the mm-hmm. Fast and Furious. He had the IRS. He had Benghazi. Uh, he and look at, uh, look hold at, on, hold on, hold on. Let me mention this. I got to mention this, and this is the one scandal that pisses me off to this day. Was when when we traded a deserter, and now oh, this is yeah. what the this is what the soldiers this is what the soldiers are saying. He was, they classify him as a deserter and that's what they see him at we we took one deserter and exchanged him for what five or six high-ranking taliban generals mm-hmm. i mean these were these were high-ranking terrorists 
Well, in Obama's defense, I think he knew what was going to happen in Afghanistan. And he was like, hey, you're going to need some high-ranking Taliban members to make sure all of that equipment gets put you know, in well, its proper place and is utilized correctly. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, but but and the point. Speaking of Kennedy, you know, think of the Bay of Pigs. Like, yeah, how, yeah, the Bay of Pigs. He, yeah, really that's your, you know, your Benghazi type yeah. of situation. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say this about the the. Cuban, and I'm a big fan of JFK. I, no, I, I, I like JFK. Yeah. But okay, but if you look at let's say the Cuban Missile Crisis, I you know, Curtis LeMay was like, we need to bomb Cuba because mm-hmm. we need to get rid of those nuclear sites now. That w- really was the right, smart decision. Now, it really would have turned out bad. You can make the smart decision, and mm-hmm. it doesn't come out right. But yeah. Kennedy, he di- he came up with a bad decision, but it worked out for him. I know that might be a little hard to follow, but he did what any person would say was not a smart move, but it Fortunately, it turned out turned out well because there were some cooler heads that were like, "Whoa, we are about to start a nuclear war." So, mm-hmm. you know, you, can you take the chance of having the Soviet Union? I mean, they're still setting up these nuclear uh, missile sites. Yeah. We need to it's take them to the out point now. Where it's gotten to the point where people are just instead of choosing the person or dissecting the person's career, they're just picking teams. Mm-hmm. You know, Democrats are picking Democrats, Republicans are picking Republicans, and unfortunately for this, these lists that come out, it's Democrats, Democrat um, prominent, and so it's so obvious. And it's like, well, you've got George Washington as number one, and Lincoln number two. Like, no duh. You know, common sense will tell you, yeah, those are your top two. But then get past the top two or the top three, mm-hmm. and it really just the top two. It's always Lincoln, Washington. You know, it's between the get out, get past those, and then really look at it. It is beyond me how some of these, you know, presidents uh, get into the top ten, the top fifteen, like Woodrow yeah. Wilson and Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson was a travesty. Yeah. I mean, he should be right up there with Richard and he, Nixon. And he had I affairs. He had affairs. He had affairs. It's, it's ridiculous. And apparently Warren G. Harding didn't have an affair while he was in office. Yeah. He just had affairs you know, prior, I think, too, mm-hmm. which uh, Ryan mentions in his book. You know, when I was a kid, um, well, actually, this was after, Reagan, uh, his, after Reagan's presidency ended. I remember a neighbor of mine was sitting and saying that historians are rating Ronald Reagan as the worst president we ever had. And I was like going... Based on what? Based I on mean, what? it turned out that uh, the guy that was telling me was, um, he was with uh, Patco. I don't know if you, you might be too young to remember that, but they, those were the air traffic controllers. And they, oh, were, okay. they were all fired. Mm-hmm. Um, they were yeah. all fired they're, by they're Ronald Reagan. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's got a, a beef again. I mean, I respected yeah. the guy. Um, but, uh, yeah, he had a beef against Reagan. Yeah, I mean, but if I Reagan, worked in the air traffic control industry, uh, I'd rate him very low as well. Even the construction industry. Um, I would rate rank him very low if it because it would have yeah. definitely affected me personally. Um, but even Ronald Reagan, I think, is he continues he's, to move up. And yeah, up he's, and, up a, he's, and everybody he realizes how you know. But Kennedy was not a better president than Ronald Reagan. No, I don't think so either. So no, I, that's why I'm like, you know, yeah. I don't he, know who. So I don't know. The who thing does is, is like. We could go on all day yeah. with the the ratings of the rankings of the presidents. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say something, but we really need to get out of here. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, before we do, let's do our book and movie recommendation. Yes. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is synonymous. Anonymous. Uh, it's anonymous jazz age president. I mean, anonymous. No. You said anonymous. Uh huh. <laughs> Do you not like that? I've heard better. Okay. It's <laughs> synonymous. Isn't that the same thing? Yeah. I get it. <laughs> oh, up top. Well, I didn't see oh, it. Oh, <laughs> man. All right. So it's the Jazz Age president defending Warren G. Harding. I really like this, how this is going. Oh. Um, it's by Ryan Walters, who we just had on the show. This is a really good book. Um, it's a nice breakdown. And it, as he said, it's very concise. It's about 200 pages long. Um, but it gives you just an idea of the good things that Warren G. Harding did. And at the same time, points out a lot of the things that people have said about him, that he sort of, as he said, there, there are those eight myths that he attacks and sort of breaks down. So it's a, it's a very good book and an easy read and a lot of really good information and gives you information on what was going on in the world at the time, uh, right before Harding's presidency, uh, during and then during, uh, not so much after. So, all right. And my movie... The Great Gatsby. Mm. No, Gatsby. Gatsby. So The Great Gatsby. Uh, this is one, yeah. This is the the new one came out. <laughs> did you see it? Oh yeah. It's yeah. really good. Uh, they did a fantastic job of really com- just pulling in the jazz age mm-hmm. uh, with this. Um, Leo Leo DiCaprio does a fantastic job, and so does what's his face, um, Tobey Maguire. He, yeah. He did he did very well, and I really liked how. Um, they changed this one from the original with your buddy Robert yeah. Redford. Who played Daisy on that one? Uh, Carrie Mulligan. I don't think I remember her. Yeah. Well, okay, so my book and a movie. Um, obviously, the book. Really? You, you put the book down. You like You that, put huh? the book down. I said it's synonymous. Well, I, but I need to carry it. It's anonymous. It. Okay, so all right. So this is going to be. I need be, you to be anonymous. All right. We need books like this because I've always, and this is before I even knew that this book came out, I always believed that he, Warren Harding, the guy's being portrayed very unfairly. Mm-hmm. I, I thought he was a good president. For the longest time, I could not understand why is he ranked so low. Okay, somebody, like for maybe the New York Times has uh, started the whole thing and everyone just regurgitated what he yeah. had to say. I don't know. But either way, okay, so, yeah, so this book... And I must recommend. Oh, the Great Gatsby! The Great Gatsby, yes, by F. Scott Fitzgerald, which the Roaring Twenties, you know, and Roaring Twenties was because of you know Warren G. Harding and their policies, mm-hmm. you know, his administration. So I re- I really did like the book. I read it in high school. I didn't like it in high school, but when I gave it a reread mm-hmm. uh, about maybe ten years ago or so, yeah. I was like, "Hey, you know what?" Actually, exactly. You know. Yeah, I found I, my I, I find myself doing that too. Like books that I read as a as a yeah. kid or a teenager, mm-hmm. I reread. I'm like, "Man, yeah." Same thing good. happened with the uh, the Iliad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, great great book. Now I didn't like it when I first read it, but the one book I always liked then and now was um, the uh, Animal Farm. Hmm. Ah, I love that one. So, Classic. All right, now for the movies. Also The Great Gatsby, but mine is the 1974 version, mm-hmm. which follows closely the book, pretty much. Now, that one had Robert Redford, Mia Farrow, uh, Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern. Uh, you had Scott Waterston. Is it Scott? Sam Waterston. I'm sorry, Sam Waterston. You know him from Capricorn One. You know him from uh, one of those SUV... Was it the... 
What's that SVU, the Law and Order? Yes, Law and Order. Yeah. Just, yeah, straight up Law and Order. Yeah. White hair. He plays Toby McGuire. The white haired guy. Yeah. So uh, now you also had a Bond girl, Lois Childs from Moonraker. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then my favorite, Scott Wilson from The Walking Dead. You remember Scott Wilson? He plays Herschel. I was going to say Herschel. I couldn't yeah. come up with the name. Yeah, Herschel. Yeah, you see a young Scott Wilson in there. So, uh, again, the, the movie does follow the book very closely. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, I like liked it. the new one more than the old one, but they're both worth watching. I, I never thought Mia Farrell. Yeah. Eh, I, got, I got, I got, I got yeah, sort like, of wigged out with with the with the old one with the original. Why is that? I just because they just would stare at each other like in a real weird way. Anyways, I don't remember yeah, that one. It's just I just remember thinking Mia Farrell. I mean, really? Could you really Mia Farrow? Yeah. Really? She just didn't. You know, didn't do it for me. No, she really didn't. No. You know who would have been better would have been like um, Ellie Mae Clampett or Elizabeth Montgomery or someone. You know, one of, you know, I Dream of Jeannie, one of those. Uh, or that chick on 10. I think Bo Derek was a little Bo too Derek, young. Yeah. Bring was, her out. Bo Derek came out, she was 18, I think, in 79 when that movie came out. So she okay, would have yeah, been. Yeah, she'd have been fine. 13? Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, all right. Well, that's uh, all. Goodbye. I'll talk to you later. I hope you have a great week. Shouldn't we talk about the, you know, the websites? Is anybody that? finding us? What huh? You... Huh? They're finding Go us ahead. on Facebook. Okay, just like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Whatever on Rumble. Although you know, Rumble, Work, we need yeah. to, you know. Um, and then YouTube. Please subscribe to us on YouTube and, yeah. and tell tell your friends. We need more subscribers on YouTube than we really need anything else. I think we're shadow banned, like officially. I'm, you know, Over the past several hundred subscribers, uh-huh. it keeps jumping in increments of 10. I think I've discussed this with you. Increments Any, of 10. You know, and not only that, but any times I put a link uh, to our, to oh, like, let's say Facebook, down, uh, yeah. YouTube... Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, it's... Which Facebook hates outside links, but... Yeah, but... It's, uh, it's all a joke. Anyways, I don't want to get caught up complaining. Where yeah, I know. Find our but we do, have, we do have our own website, which is not Shadow Band, which is www.thesonsofhistory.com, where, right. you know, we have links, we have articles, we have merchandise, mm-hmm. you know, like... Uh, do I... Am I... You know, I'll... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sons of History coffee mugs yes. and T-shirts. Well, that is it for our show because I got to go use a restroom. Goodbye, everyone.